0: This is a Leaders In podcast. Leaders In brings wisdom and inspiration from the world's most admired leaders in video, podcast, and live event formats. Visit leadersin.com for more. On today's podcast, Accidental Entrepreneur and Author of The
1: Million Dollar Blog, Natasha Courtney Smith talks about personal branding and digital transformation, a truly vivacious podcast.
0: She is an author, an entrepreneur, and her most recent book is The Million Dollar Blog. Natasha Courtney-Smith, welcome to Leaders In.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Great to have you with us. Thank you Thank very you much Thank you for having indeed. me. Um, so rather than just delving straight into the book today, maybe we just start a little bit about your background. So yeah. um, if I can understand, you started in a huge company, The Daily Mail, how did, you, how did you find that? What were you doing there?
1: So I was a feature writer at The Daily Mail, and right. I wrote a lot of features. So I was a, a, one of the many people working there, generating content, writing news, and human interest features every yep. day.
0: And that's where you found your love of writing, or was it before that?
1: No, I've, always, I've actually always been a very good writer, yeah. I have to say. I was always a natural writer and able to write very fast. I, yeah. When I was at the Daily Mail, I actually just went in to cover for a few shifts. And this is, as is often the case of the Daily Mail, you never leave the building ever again, basically. Yeah. That's how a lot of people end up working there. Okay. I'd previously been working in magazines.
0: So why did you end up leaving? I mean, the Daily Mail you know, is a great company. I'm sure you would have been on a, on a career path. What, what?
1: I know I would have been on a career path, but I think it's like any big corporation, yeah. Where you, I felt maybe to, I felt that you, you, the career path at the Daily Mail is a very long career path. And I'd have to possibly be there for ten years, twenty right. years, in order to be one of the star writers. You know, all newspapers has its star write, have its star writers, which is where I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and I felt that that it was going to take a long time, and I didn't want to do that. And also inside myself, I I, I started to think about setting up my own business.
0: Yeah. This has put um, ourselves in the shoes of big companies. So yeah. your are CEO of, or you know, head of talent for a big organization like Dynamo. Any thoughts on how they can retain their future stuff?
1: I suppose maybe give you a bit more hope earlier on, throw yeah. you through a few more bones, yeah. uh, give you a few more reviews, lay out to you, actually, this is the path that, could open for you if you stay. Yeah. I mean, plenty of people, plenty of my peers have stayed at the Daily Mail and had, it, had um, have good careers there, and are yeah. now section editors and yeah. um, associate editors of the entire paper. But I think also inside me, both my parents ran their own business together, and I right. think I did think that I should be setting up my own business.
0: So was there lots of rows at home as you were growing up about the sort of the business and which direction it should be, or was that <laughs> that was? <laughs>
1: I can't really remember to be honest <laughs> i know they, they grew their business quite big um and they had you know yeah they had plenty of people they had lots of people working for them and it did really really well
0: okay so you, you were brought up in an environment that was very much sort of an entrepreneurship startup yes, but actually
1: i don't know i mean at the time you don't realize it do no. you i don't a lot of people say oh my parents are entrepreneurs and they drummed it into me that you must do this and that's no. certainly not the case for me but they ran their own business it was successful i didn't know what entrepreneurship was but i i guess i saw them making their own way.
0: Yeah, amazing. So let's talk about this this bug that you had in 2008 you actually started uh, your own company yeah. and talking to the press. How, how where did you come up with that idea?
1: So I so Things have slightly changed because newspaper landscape has changed so much but at the time it's all papers want is is exclusive content and they have large sums of money to buy exclusive stories and and it was believed i don't know if this is still the case but whoever has the best exclusive story on their front page sells more copies that weekend so i could see the papers were spending huge amounts of money on exclusive content so i thought if i could um find some way Uh, that's one part of it the other Mm. part of it was that I initially went freelance and then as a freelance journalist you have to have stories to pitch and getting a story is is probably the most difficult part of the job you know where do you go to get a story if you're not someone like and I wasn't someone who wanted to go knocking on doors or making cold calls how do you get a story so I thought if I set up a website called and call it talk to the press maybe there might be one or two people out there who might have a story and might contact me and and that was really it. And and right. uh, I set up the website, and it transpired there were lots and lots of people out there with stories. Yeah. And the website became a lead generator of exclusive content, which we were then able to sell for high prices, yeah. international newspapers and yeah. television shows. Phenomenal. So, so I didn't really foresee it. That's. Right. I was. I I do think I'm more of an accidental entrepreneur than a um like
0: yeah. <laughs> planned entrepreneur. Right, I didn't really okay. see.
1: Yeah. I didn't really foresee that would happen. But as it happened, it was 2008, I was the fir- one of the first people to put up a website like that. At the same time, people were starting to Google, well, they were Googling yeah. a lot, and the two two worlds yeah. collided. Yeah.
0: So doing something that's is, is an extension of your current industry has yeah. certainly worked for you. Was yeah, you I think it worked for
1: lots of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people, it's a very typical entrepreneur's path, isn't it? Like, yeah. suppose you work in the... Um, Bread section at Sainsbury's and then you then set up a bakery and I think it's a very typical entrepreneur's path and probably the one with that's easiest to get started. That's right
0: that's right because sort of then you get that intuitive feel because you've been in it for you
1: understand the industry you also have a few contacts I mean I had contacts at the Daily Mail actually in order to build that business we needed to be selling to everyone you can't just we can't just become a kind of exclusive supplier to the Daily Mail that doesn't have scale but because I was known as a journalist, you know, I'd had yeah. hundreds of bylines in the da- Daily Mail. I was yeah. then able to phone other editors at other papers that's and right. say what I was doing.
0: Yeah. And
1: it, they'd probably at least agree to kind of meet with me and give me five minutes. Yeah.
0: So that's just smart. It's leveraging the assets, what yeah. you know and who you know, yeah. taking those two things and, and then launching the business from that. Very good. And then um, you then, by the way, how did you find it going from a huge company to a small company where you're the, you know, paper jam fixer and you know, the, you're I've the head of IT? my whole
1: life was pr- fixing printers. It really <laughs> was. How do you know about the page job? <laughs> I cannot tell you how much time I've spent fixing printers. I really yeah, think. I found it, um, hmm. it. It's just like every, with, with the whole thing, you sort of realise retrospectively what you've yeah. done. So what happened was mm. I set up this website. Talk to the Press was a good name. It's called Talk to the Press. It's yeah. a company exists today. I was able to get on BBC Breakfast as, a, as a, you know, this new business has launched. And from that, we were just absolutely inundated. So I straight away had to take on a small team mm. But without, and then retrospectively sort of get the admin sorted, i.e., do I even yeah. have enough computers in this office? Like, no, there's not even enough computers. People bring their own computers yeah. and then have to go out and buy some computers. Mm. So I, I would probably say in the beginning I was quite chaotic about it.
0: But you see, I think that's really great because a lot of people think they've got to have all these steps lined up before yeah. they take Yeah, And the they leap. think
1: about things like whether you're a limited company or not or you're mm. a sole trader. Actually, it, it, the way it started was as a sole trader because I was just freelancing and then I got on BBC Breakfast. I set up a website which happened to have a great. Name got on BBC Breakfast. You can deal with all that admin stuff afterwards. Yeah, you can incorporate the limited company afterwards.
0: Yeah, that's right, exactly. Or focus on the right things. Yeah. So what would you say if you've got one piece of having been through that and successfully exiting the business, what would you say is your one piece of advice for one of those entrepreneurs that are running around chasing the tails, chasing the paper jam, fixing I always just say, Oh, do
1: you mean in a business just, like
0: that? Yeah, to a founder who's currently, you know, got a business idea and they're doing admin operations and just sort of a number one piece of well, entrepreneur advice. I think the one advice. thing I
1: always say is focus on the sale first. Like you don't really need to worry about the admin or the logistics or anything. You actually need to worry about getting cash in you see so many people who are agonizing over how they're going to set up where it's going to be based i always try and go straight for the sale because once you've got cash flow coming in then everything you can deal with everything else that's right and then i mean everybody i employ to talk to the press they were all graduates um they were all trained by me a lot of them are now really high flying in the newspaper industry most of them would stay with me for say two to three years Mm. so then that's about having a a good team and young people who are enthusiastic and they can get promoted really quickly in a small business, and that you know they can go from being the intern to being the set you know a features editor or something and, and that brings great loyalty
0: yeah. With it focusing on the cash because you get the cash, you can then do everything else, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and the idea and the contacts, and just thinking smart. So, having exited the business, um, as soon as you sold the business, did you then just relax underneath the coconut palm trees for a while, or what are you doing? No, I now? think are I you? totally freaked so, out well
1: after <laughs> I sold the business. So, oh, did you, yeah.
0: well, in the sense that somebody else is going to take control? And no, just
1: in the sense of knowing what to do. So, I was one of those sadists who kind of kept going to the office, even though because <laughs> you're in such a habit of of yeah. going there so um, I had my team in my office and then they moved to a different office but I was still left with the office for, in, for a while until I could deal with exiting like getting rid of the lease yeah. so I would still go in there even though it was sort of empty with empty chairs next to me and I and I, and I became very fixated on what I was going to do next and I should have taken a break right okay. but I felt quite um I don't know sort of I felt like I must have a plan whereas in reality I didn't need to have a plan and probably shouldn't have worried so much so i didn't go in sunbathe under some palm (laughs) trees or anything
0: natasha you started doing companies so um and you've been through it you've successfully exited the business having been through it and having worked at large organizations do you think that everybody can just go and launch a business or does it take a certain type of mindset or person
1: that's a very interesting question i think what i find fascinating about this world of entrepreneurship is it's now a thing to be an entrepreneur and it's 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 something people can study, and, and there's a whole raft of young people saying, I want to be an entrepreneur, which is completely amazing and brilliant. I feel that's really changed a lot since even 2008, when I started my business, which wasn't that long ago, when, I mean, maybe this was just me being completely clueless, but I had no idea I was being an entrepreneur. You're just sort of trying to get going as an independent person, and then you get busy, so you take on some people, and then next thing you know, you have a business. Yeah. So, and, and and in hindsight, you then realise, oh, this is what entrepreneurship is. And maybe I'm an entrepreneur and maybe I should l- learn and study some skills. So I think with regard to the question, we now live in a really different era in which people recognise entrepreneurship as a thing and people have that as an ambition. And absolutely, it can be learned and taught like anything else. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: So people can, uh, and there's, a, there's young people studying entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and wanting to be entrepreneurs, which is which is brilliant. And what I love about it is, is the idea that they use the word entrepreneur and just have in their mind they're going to do anything that's going to be an entrepreneur they're not sort of thinking oh you know like the way I did which was I'm working at a newspaper so now i'm going to start a press agency you know the kind of very straight journey they're thinking and mm. i can be anything
0: yeah that's right
1: and the same skills apply which i think yeah. is a really brilliant and positive thing
0: yeah i suppose it's because uh, you know um comes like uh, the the facebook and the social network yeah. shows mark zuckerberg just literally thinking i want to be able to do this and then they but solve that's that this problem whole
1: online revolution which yeah. is and Seth Godin talks about it a lot, how we live in this mm-hmm. amazing era where you can just, anyone with a laptop can just make money and, you know, you can just get started, which is which yeah. is true. But also, at the same time, a lot of businesses really do require a lot of money. Say, if you want to open a restaurant or you want to open a shop, that's not something you can just sit at home and do yeah. from your laptop necessarily. That's
0: right. Do you think it takes, um, if somebody's listening to this thinking, you know, I love what Natasha's saying, I'm sitting at a, in a big company... Thousands of employees. Nobody's really recognised me, but I've got mortgages. Like like
1: I was, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And you're, but you've got real bills to pay. they're not virtual bills. They're real bills. Um, and you think I want to go and launch my own company, but. It's a big leap of faith to take. Should they do it on the side in the evening to sort of pursue it as a hobby first? Yeah, I
1: definitely think there's ways around it. I mean, at the time I left the Daily Mail, I didn't have those sorts of commitments. But I definitely didn't have much money. I only had £5,000 and I was you know, rent in London, I think it was like 1,100 a month or something to pay for my rent in this flat I was living in with a friend. So I wasn't, it wasn't a real crisis. I'm going to got a house and I've got kids to feed, but at the same time you're under financial pressure. So I remember it was a really scary decision and feeling absolutely terrified about whether it was going to work out or not. And then your mind goes to the worst case scenario. What if it doesn't work out? And, you know, this is going to be a disaster. And then I'm just going to run out of money and I'm going to be homeless and we're living on the streets. And you go through this catastrophic thinking. So I would say if you've got real financial commitments, you'd have to try and start something on the side. Yeah, that's right. Test that as a prototype and then then go from there.
0: Yeah. And it's a shame
1: that I mean, people do get hemmed in by their jobs and and by their lives. But if they're older and they're at a point they've got mortgages and children, they might also be at a point where they've got some savings that they could use as well. I mean, my £5,000, which I know doesn't sound very much now, but it was like... To me, age twenty nine, that was represented, uh, yeah. or maybe I was twenty eight, but it represented everything I'd saved. Basically, it was my life savings. Yeah, and I and I felt like I was, I felt like I was quite rich with five thousand pounds. That's right.
0: That's right. Well, it's a huge investment, the five thousand pounds, but it certainly paid <laughs> off. So, so well done. In your book, actually, which we're going to talk about now, but you talk about how to create a personal brand mission statement. Yeah, just give us a quick overview on.
1: So that's something that I see as being a shortcut to a personal brand. So when okay. I was building Talk to the Press, I very much led it. You. You know, journalists have a bad reputation don't right. they yeah. and and no one trusts journalists actually even less so now but it was the same then and i thought you know if i can build myself as a nice honest kind person if i can build myself into the fabric of the company which is personal branding yeah. then i can build the integrity of the company because if i put myself at the front of it and people will realize that i'm a nice decent trustworthy person then that enhances the brand of the company so yeah. that's when i first in how I first started learning about right. personal branding, but in terms of the mission statement, mm. nowadays people realise that it helps. You know, look at Branson and Dyson, how they lead their companies and the, their their personal, how well they are known. Their profiles enhances their
0: yeah. company, yeah. and
1: but it can be quite difficult to do. So I think having a mission statement, a statement that's bigger than you, just helps you be more memorable and stand out. That's so good. for instance, for me, it might be you know, I want to help every um business and person become better known for what they do. Now that's just a mission statement that makes me more memorable. In reality, I'm never going to achieve that. Like I'm never going to help every person become better known than what they do. But it's still as I lead with the mission statement, just to something that makes you more memorable.
0: That's right. And it sort of gives you a purpose. And it gives me a purpose and it, it, makes be, it
1: means people can instantly understand me. So say you're a personal trainer and you're thinking, um, my if you had a mission statement that's bigger than what you can ever achieve, i.e., I want to help every mom over 35 have the figure of, that they had when they were 18, or whatever. Mm. No personal trainer is going to achieve that because it's impossible. But it means that anyone looking at them thinks, "Oh, yeah, this person means business." Like yeah. I understand what this person's about now just from yeah. that mission statement. So it's a personal branding shortcut, really.
0: Perfect. Um, you've obviously written this book, The Million yes. Dollar Blog, um, but we're going to come into that now. But just. What else are you doing then? What's your, So you're obviously an author, you're a speaker, you've got a consultant? Really,
1: I'm working in I'm helping people become better known for what they do. And yeah. I work with people from celebrities to charities yeah. to small business owners. And yeah. really, it's about their online visibility. It's about their overall visibility. And what yeah. I'm bringing is blending the experience I have in the mainstream media, so the publicity side of it, with the experience I have from running an online business, which yeah. is talk to the press. Yeah. And if you can get both right. And get people mainstream media coverage and improve their like through digital marketing, which is such a huge, multifaceted world. Mm. It drives everybody crazy. Yeah. But if you can get both balls elevating <laughs> through a range of techniques, then that person becomes better known for what they do, or, or the That's company right. becomes better known. But for it's what they not they
0: do. just aspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders; it's also famous celebrities that you're after. I've I,
1: I have worked with some famous celebrities yeah. who are quite well known, but no one that doesn't mean they have all their have everything completely covered or that they understand particularly what I find with mainstream celebrities people we recognize from television is that they're so used to working in television they don't really understand the online world right and what they don't want to do is get overtaken by all these online stars who can reach 2 million people whereas they're still beholden to a commissioning editor to commissioning their program to get visibility yeah
0: because it says in your it says on your in your book it everybody has to work on their profile all the time yeah. even if you're so because obviously max clifford obviously he, his personal life was a, was a ended up being a bit of a disaster but the business itself of going to high celebrities and looking after their profile is that somewhat something that you're potentially wanting to get involved in then is that, that's quite a nice niche i thought
1: No, I think my niche is working with people who I know I can help. So that might be, it depends on the celebrity. I wouldn't say I just would work with any celebrity. Different celebrities have different needs, both in terms of traditional media and... um, uh, online media so I just want to work with people where I can see what their goals are and I know how to do it and I can get them in mainstream publicity because it fits the mass media background that I have which is actually extremely tabloidy and magaziney and mass media so if a celebrity came to me who wasn't mass media or who didn't want that sort of coverage if someone came to me and they just wanted to be in the Guardian or the Observer I would not want to work with them because I'm used to dealing with I and mean, now I'm running down the Guardian server on <laughs> time, But I'm used to getting people into the tabloids, yeah. onto mainstream huge programs. So amazing. So that I'm just interested in pe- working with people who I who I can help.
0: Great. Maybe you can help us get on the mainstream as well. That'd be really <laughs> good. Visit www.leadersin.com and follow us on social media for over 500 inspiring leadership videos and podcasts. Um, let's talk about uh, about specifically the book. What was um, I mean, when I first saw it, the Million Dollar Blog, it looks fantastic. The content looks great, um, but obviously blogging's been around for a long time. Yeah, it so has. It has. Is, but but if you look out there on the world of the internet at the moment, everyone's talking about uh, blogging having a sort of renaissance. So is it is it tapping into that?
1: I don't know. if Blogging's having a renaissance or not. And I suppose I should say it is. No, but what it's tapping into is that is that. Blogging is now a viable business model that people understand. So I think what happened is in 2008, around the time I set up Talk to the Press, I was using a content strategy to build that business, although I didn't realise it at the time. You know, you're just doing whatever you feel you have to do to get more visitors to your website. At the same time, there were all sorts of people blogging and people thought they were weirdos. Like, what's this person doing writing an online diary? You know, this is a strange habit this person's got. And they were sort of ridiculed. Mm. What The different landscape we're in now is that you know, this year there's a beauty blogger who's just got a million dollar plus contract with L'Oreal. It's now completely recognised. Actually, you know what? This is not some strange thing that people are writing online diaries. This is a viable business model. Okay. So I feel I don't know if you'd call it a resurgence, but I feel it's had a coming of age.
0: Okay. So it's actually maybe the difference is you can actually really monetise. You can really monetise
1: it. Plus, there's there's a set of rules that can be followed. Yeah. So if you're looking at other business models, like let's set up, let's open a let's open a pub. There's there's a set of rules to opening a successful pub. Hmm. Um, We're no longer in that beginning ground where nobody really knows what they're doing and a few people accidentally get lucky. There's a clear route that the most successful bloggers have taken. Great, okay. And I also think what's really interesting and how this book came about is I did a talk last year and it was called How to Turn Your Blog into a Business and it was absolutely packed. And I think there's a lot of people who are suddenly thinking, do you know what? This blogging malarkey is that, yeah, yeah. can actually provide a great lifestyle. Like it will enable me, particularly women, it will enable me to work from home. I can work from wherever I want. And when they're looking around, you know. As ever, people go through their lives, people think about, oh, do I want to change career? What am I going to do? Yeah. That looks like a really attractive option.
0: That's right. Absolutely. So I met somebody, um, actually a female graduate, um, about uh, two or three weeks ago, who told me it was a family friend, who said that they, she was going to become a digital nomad. And I see that you're writing about it the yeah. book. When I heard it, I was like, OMG, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be their parent. Um, <laughs> But what you're saying is that that, you know, floating around coffee shops wherever you are with a laptop and Starbucks, you can genuinely make a career out of that.
1: There's a lot of people who are doing this digital nomad thing. And there's this extraordinary place in Bali, which is a kind of... um I wrote about the book, but yeah. it's like a destination where digital nomads, like they go and live the Bali lifestyle and then they all go in and, and they work from a kind of workspace. But it's super cool, like a solo yeah. house type of space. Yeah. And there's GPs running sort of virtual private practices virtually from in there. I do think the idea of digital nomad is probably a bit forward thinking for a lot of people though. And yeah. also it's, it, it depends what appeals to you. Yeah. For me, I'm not interested in being a digital nomad because I love being in central London. I love Mm. meeting people and I love bricks and mortar businesses. Like when you go into something and it it exists, but the appeal for a lot, you can understand the appeal to think you can go from wherever you want and homes, you know, there's a whole movement of people homeschooling their children Mm. as they travel the world. Um, through monetizing their blogs about their lifestyles.
0: Yeah, that's right. I'd love to homeschool my kids, I'm just not smart enough, I don't think. Maybe <laughs> I need to read a blog about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's how they're
1: making their money. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. If people aren't like me. You need
0: to, uh, um, would you, so, so for people who are thinking this sounds like an amazing career path, and, and we're going to talk about how big companies, yeah, the big corps yeah. can incorporate this as well. But, yes, because but there's all
1: these different levels, and I think yeah. it, it, blogging is quite a wide world, and, it's, and people get really confused. So the digital nomad life is completely different to a business who might which just That's build it. their online That's visibility. Yeah. That's a very different thing.
0: So, what would you say um, to, because on LeadersIn.com we have the uh, very aspiring individuals, very mm. aspiring, uh, aspiring SMEs, but we also have, also have FTSE 100. We ourselves and former PLCs are FTSE 100 companies. Mm. So, talking to the large companies out there, um, how should they incorporate blogging into their sort of digital mix or, or marketing mix?
1: so first of all whenever we talk about large companies you have to change our voice and start calling it a content strategy because ah, okay. that's what people do Growing for up. no clear reason why at all like it's all the same thing I'm always like why are we talking like this just because <laughs> we're talking about a large company, it's completely yeah. ridiculous but it's it's marketing yeah it's it's creating content for your own customers you're not worrying about you're only worrying about enough of building enough of an audience to get enough interest into your company at whatever size the company is, or whatever yep. size you want it to be, but you do have to think about how you can make it entertaining and how you can do yep. something different to what is already being yeah. done. Yeah, and I think what what a lot of co- um, companies do wrong. Big, I mean, a lot of big companies actually take it per- really seriously and have content studios and they employ former journalists like Burberry yep. and Disney. You know, they have. A whole co- the content departments they treat themselves as a magazine and that's exactly right and they're right. doing all sorts of a mix of content of behind the scenes and interviews with key staff members and anything they can think of and treating it as an online publication
0: right okay
1: but that's one side of the coin they do it well a lot of others say we must get into blogging right. and then they write a blog post and then they don't really know what to do with it they publish it and then they don't write another blog post for about a year
0: i know and sometimes the blog posts can be you know come by our product I and mean, it's not
1: well they write a blog post with a sense of urgency so this is the difference between um kind of evergreen content which is really valuable because you can use it again and again and again yeah um and live content so it's always easy to do live content because there's always that sense of urgency like someone will say hey we've got an event next week write a blog post about it we need to sell tickets so yeah. Yeah. So... Everyone's like thinking we need to sell these tickets, and frantically writes a blog post because this yeah. thing's coming up. Right. But that's the wrong focus because actually a good content strategy would be mostly evergreen content that's timeless, yeah. and then you can reuse it again and again and again.
0: Okay. So we, for example, real case you're talking about it um, because this is our passion because we do events. So we've got Steve Forbes coming up in New York on December the sixth yeah. this year. So we shouldn't be just writing blogs, you know, in the De- uh, first week of December about we should. But I bet try you will p-
1: write blogs in the first week of December, I'm won't sure. you? I'm sure because we there's a pressure. Will. Guilty as yeah.
0: <laughs> so, what sh- I suppose it's what we'll be doing in November as well. That's the key thing, isn't it? Well, it, you're right, we will. You, you know?
1: will, because there's, a, there's suddenly a pressure on you, yeah. and you're thinking, Oh, we've got to write Then that's fine. Yeah. Now, everyone falls victim to this sort of non perfect behavior. You know, yeah. No one's an angel around here. Yeah. But actually, it would be more like w- when you've got all that content from Steve. Forbes, how can you then be reusing that for the rest of the year afterwards? So it goes out. So you could do Mm. like 10 things we learned from Steve Forbes or five great quotes from and then actually after the event, because we're not just talking about doing content just for the sake of promotion. Right. We're talking about content for the overall leaders in brand. That's it. So after the event, they can then go out on a rotation pattern and go out again and again and again. They're yeah. evergreen. They're timeless. People are always going to read them and share them.
0: Back on to the big subject of marketing. Is there a danger, you think? Because 10 years ago or 15 years ago, everyone was talking about direct mail integrated with facts, integrated with other forms of marketing, email potentially. But now, if you listen to any marketing director or CMO, they're all talking digital social media yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but is there a danger that they're forgetting the integration with the real world and that you should be integrated with other forms of marketing or do you think now that is just old-school thinking it is all social it is all digital
1: what like, oh, it's got like other forms of marketing like direct mail
0: Direct, direct mail, um, telephone marketing, telephone engagement. Oh, you know, people don't like
1: talking on the phone, though, do they? Well,
0: they don't now, do they? No, no they anymore. don't like
1: talking on the phone. No one wants to answer their phone. Yeah. If my phone rings, I'm quite freaked out. It's like, what? you're Ringing me? <laughs> you're meant to be texting me or WhatsApping me. That's right. No, I mean, it definitely is. It, yeah. it is all about um, online and social. Yeah. And I'm sure there's certain sectors, such as fashion, where they yeah. catalogs are still absolutely brilliant. But for most people. You can contain that online. I think the danger is, and and what well we'll end up asking ourselves, or perhaps mm. slowly killing ourselves, is that, you know, businesses you just can never stop creating content once you've started, yeah. and consumers are just bombarded by so much stuff. So I'm sure, as we see already happening with Facebook, this whole idea of people curating more and more what they want to hear from, who they want to hear from, and turning off what they don't want to hear is what's yeah. going to happen because. Yeah. We are all bombarded all the time.
0: Is there any other trends you see in the world of digital social media that is coming up? That Any new... Uh...
1: Well, what about this virtual reality stuff? I mean, I don't cool. know much about it, but now next thing it's going to be, you know, yeah. how can you give your customers a virtual reality experience? And Absolutely. the answer to that, I have actually no idea whatsoever, but right. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg will be telling us all very yeah. soon.
0: Yeah, well, he bought Oculus Rift didn't yeah. he, for billions, yeah. so I'm sure we're going to be finding out about that soon. Um, Let's talk about digital transformation. I've seen on your on um, on your website, uh, NatashaCourtneySmith.com, that uh, you speak a lot about digital transformations, and lots of big companies go through digital transformation, trying to drag people from the old way of thinking yeah. to the new way of thinking. In your experience, um, do people do they have to change the people to change the people's mindset, or do you think that you know some of the um, the people who did, for example, MBAs in 1985, they can actually change their their mindset and, and their business models.
1: Oh, God, it probably comes down to the individual, doesn't it? It's true. I mean, a lot of digital transformation stuff is literally, it, it sounds very technical and as though you're sort of telling people they must immediately launch a million apps doing something crazy and yeah. getting to virtual reality. But a lot of them is just dragging them out of what you know, then what century and now the twenty-first. Yeah. So dragging them out of that with updated websites and just some basic systems. You're not talking necessarily about radical change. Okay. You're just talking yeah. about getting stuff done, getting social media, g- having a great website, doing delivering online video, like getting this stuff done properly and consistently. And yeah. and, and that can make a real that, difference. And there are a lot
0: of consultants charge a fortune for digital transformation. But as you said, it doesn't have to be this big mythical no, thing. No, I know. I know they
1: do. And every time I hear that, I'm like, I need to put my prices up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, it, I don't think it is a mythical thing. There's so many businesses that still have terrible websites and also another thing is about just looking at what you can do online to add particularly with a bricks and mortar business Mm. or or a private healthcare clinic or something that exists in the real world you want to carry on existing in the real world no one's telling you that you're suddenly going to shut down this harley street clinic and turn it into some sort of app that's not what it's about it's about just thinking actually can we just get a few more revenue streams coming in from online stuff is there anything we can sell is there anything we can do online at the same time as what we already do brilliantly via our bricks and mortar business so it's more about adding to it and 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 you can only add to it once you get a great site start doing social media start creating content start doing videos and it's a lot for people to learn actually the technical skills required are a lot for people Mm, to learn.
0: mm, absolutely but as you say, with that you get an ability to uh, even with your Harley Street real world offering you get an, an ability to um, network with your network and truly get their engagement in exactly what doing, and their loyalty business. and sell yeah. them
1: things online and yeah. I mean I you know I've got a few ha- private health clinics as clients which is why I mentioned them because I feel yeah. it's a, a, an area I'm familiar with yeah. but there's a private health clinic is always slightly limited by geography as then you'll always get someone who will fly in from America because, yeah. you know, they've heard about you and they think you're great. But generally, your people are coming from your geographical area um, because that's just the way it works. They've got to physically get there. So then, yeah. it's, then you're sort of thinking, OK, we're doing a great job for this area. How can we use the Internet to reach more people? And that might be through an online course or through... Yeah. Um, Uh, Products or whatever, but it's it's not digital transformation. It's a bit like the way people, when they talk about blogging for business, call it content strategy. Yeah, that's right. I I feel it's uh, a kind of hyped up word for the actual phrase, which is can you use the internet to build your business in any way?
0: That's right, exactly. And then if you've got the products up there on the site, the whole world could potentially buy your products online. So it's it's all about scale,
1: isn't it? And we're now kind of trapped on private healthcare clinics, but in the private healthcare clinic world, the people, the doctors and the whatever, the practitioners are repeating themselves a lot. They say yeah. the same thing to every person yeah. because people come to them with similar problems. So that actually can be packaged up and sold as a course, particularly okay. the early stages of that process, i.e. initial appointments.
0: Natasha, we're about to uh, come to the end of this interview. Yeah. Um, but before we do, I've just got sort of four quick uh, quick-fire around questions okay. to sort of ask you. Um, first of all, who is out there, if you could attend any Leaders In event, or if you could recommend us to interview somebody, who would you most want to hear from? Who do you admire the greatest out there?
1: Well, I, you probably want me to come up with some sort of intellectual answer, but mm. I'm very mass, very, very mass market mainstream, so the person I most admire is Victoria Beckham. Mm. I think she's done an amazing job. I know, I know she's kind of ridiculed, but I don't really know why. Yeah. What I love is her sort of shameless determination and ability to just keep going and move from, one one role to another and really make a success of herself. I think it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. I don't understand why people ridicule her at all.
0: No, I mean, PwC voted her, I think, in 2016 Entrepreneur of the Year Yeah. Um, for that year. And so, so she
1: should be. I mean, I know people say, well, she's got this fashion brand, but it's all right because, you know, didn't it? David Beckham transferred yeah. 300 grand from his company to hers, so it's all sort of fake. It's like, well, all businesses, that scale, grow with debt for a start. Yeah. They all need yeah. support as they grow. But it's yeah. just amazing how someone has gone from Victoria Adams as she was to this huge, fashion heavyweight I think absolutely. it's absolutely brilliant
0: absolutely and our businesses I believe are uh, got great foundations and doing very very well so it's, yeah. it's like you know we were talking about earlier about Stelios Hagiwani theoretically he got a million pounds from his father yes but he's turned it into a billion pound airline through EasyJet and Easy Group and everything else so it's a similar type of thing
1: what, what she meant to do have the Beckham name and just sit inside and make some right. cakes like it's ridiculous she's been together they've built a kind of brand and they want to keep building on it and that's absolutely right like what I can't think what else she should be doing yeah. are you meant to have a brand i mean it's a huge opportunity they are i'm sure just regular folk in many ways they have a huge opportunity of course they're going to build on it that's yeah i think that's human nature and that comes from being driven and also that comes from being driven is no matter where you get it's not enough so she you can tell that with her no matter where she is she moves her goalposts forwards and that's brilliant that's to be admired and that's
0: a trait of all successful people yeah it it is just constantly going yeah and i think
1: people think well she should stop because she's you know, she's yeah. got loads of money, she's got a rich husband, it's like, well, why should she stop?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Keep driving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So next time you're, you're with the Beckhams, can you please say we'd <laughs> love to do an interview with them? Yeah, that'd be great. Either if, one if of I them see or those, both.
1: If I see them, I will certainly pass that message
0: yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Ali G interview with them both and that was just, yeah, um, that was funny. Um, okay. Second question is, what would you say um, is the single best piece of online advice you could give us for online success?
1: So there's a brilliant quote in the book, which is, and I suppose this relates to blogging, but it relates to all online success, which is the only difference between the people who are really successful and those that aren't are the people who are really successful didn't give up. And that reminds me about that. There's a quote that's similar to marriage. Like it was just something like the secret to staying married is to not get divorced (laughs) or something like that. But basically what you're, what it's saying is that, um, Online success is not overnight success. And it's like any business. You work at it over time and it grows steadily and cumulatively. And I think that's really, really true. And I think with online success and blogging, it does have this huge attraction. It's drawing lots of young people in who think, this world will give me a quick route to glamour with loads of perks travel and being a digital nomad and Mm. that might work for some but that's not really the reality most people will take the same path as you would do with any business which is you'll grow it steadily and consistently over time
0: yeah how important do you think it is to constantly innovate in the marketing digital world and for example you know our marketing director to constantly send things up because nobody knows if it's going to work necessarily but you've got to take these punts and take these small yeah, risks yeah you definitely
1: have to test things i mean there's a couple of girls i've interviewed in the book um called yeah. emma and elsie chapman who run an american blog called a beautiful mess which is a multi-million dollar blog and they test Revenue streams. They'll test four or five revenue streams each year, with the goal that by the end of the year they'll have one revenue stream, which will then become a permanent revenue stream, revenue stream, and carry over into the into the next year. And they will test anything. They they literally any idea that they think might work, they'll just test it.
0: Two last questions. Um, what do you say? We talked about entrepreneurship before, mm. um, but what would you say is the sort of the ideal uh, age for an entrepreneur? Is there an, should you should you drop out uh, from school at the age of seven and or sixteen, whatever it is? Or should you go and do qualifications, get a few years under your belt, um, is the first question on that. And second question is, um, would you suggest they do get experience in their industry before? And we talked about that earlier. But do you think that's important, critical almost?
1: I think, okay, age of an entrepreneur obviously can be any age. I mean, there was a a story the other week in the Daily Mail, I've said I'm very tabloidy, I read all these things, (laughs) about a a 13-year-old girl who was making, I think, 40 grand a year. So, I mean, obviously not millions, but she's 13, Mm. helping Chinese parents choose Western baby names through her website. And she'd actually set it up via some sort of algorithm, I think. So they put in one name and it comes back with Sophia or Arabella or whatever. So that shows there's no age. And Mm -hmm. certainly people like Seth Godin, who we've already mentioned, will always talk about that, that we're living in this really unique age in which anyone can go out and be an entrepreneur using online skills in the online world. But if you want to set up a business that's going to be consulting to big corporations, I think you probably do have to do some actual time so that you've got the credentials and people know that you know what you're talking about. Yeah,
0: perfect. Final question. In this book, um, you do talk a lot about how you can uh, be an authority yes. and how lucrative that is if you can position yourself as the authority in your niche. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that in a nutshell? So
1: I did that with Talk to the Press, which was yeah. in the niche of story brokering, where I made myself an authority and now I'm now doing it in the digital <laughs> niche, which is a di- different niche in the niche of digital marketing. Yeah. So I think being an authority is firstly just stepping up into that position, even if inside you know that you're not necessary. There's other people out there. Of course there's going to be people who know more than you. That's not what it's about. It's about stepping forward having an opinions so you have to look the part act the part you have to create content you have to be opinionated you have to have true expertise or you'll get caught out but part of it is just being willing to do it and understanding that if you do do it you will get rewards from doing that yeah and then there's all sorts of things you can do to as credibility indicators such as writing a book doing public speaking giving a ted talk uh, you know getting an obu or whatever these are all stamps of credibility. And once you've got those things, writing articles, getting printed, once you've got those things, you must promote back that you've got that, like, hey, did you see my article I wrote, blah, blah, blah. Because that's actually, it's not about the article itself. On the day it appeared it's yeah. about the long-term value of the fact that you're a printed yeah. writer in your field yeah
0: perfect as a printed writer in your field and as the world authority in this yes, area yes i'm the world authority you are there natasha, <laughs> natasha courtney smith on behalf of all of our viewers today uh, i just want to say thank you so much thank you thank you thank you very Thanks. much Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to our Leaders In podcast. For more insight and inspiration, visit leadersin.com or check out our social media channels.